Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that has no time to edit because we're recording the weekend that we've watched the new James Bond film. I'm James. I'm Dan. This week, we're going to talk about what we've been watching. Got a little bit of real news on developments in the industry of film and TV. And our main review is the long-awaited 27th Bond film, including non-official releases, No Time to Die. Before we dive in, I just wanted to say I'm, I'm dismayed at the beginning of this podcast because I sent you a little mashup that I did, a little remix of our opening intro to the podcast with the James Bond theme. And uh, I'm not saying it was like genius because it wasn't. It took me 10 minutes to do, but I was going to put it in and then you quite rightly pointed out that it uh, pushes the bounds of copyright infringement. So this is just... A little seed I have planted to say we did something for you, but we can't put it onto the podcast. Apologies. Yeah. Uh, but if you'd like to reach out via email, I'll happily send you a copy under, you know, the understanding that you don't forward it on to anyone else, please. 150 grand you can be fined for one song use. Mental. That is mental, yeah. Trailers, though, to fit under fair criticism rules which is what everyone else does. So couldn't I just have, have cut the sound of the Bond theme from the trailer and done that? I don't know. No, it's not, it's not, worth, the, uh, it's not worth the risk, is it? Yeah. So the podcast is in the aisles, but we've actually got some tales from the aisles this week, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you want to uh, let the listeners in on our rather dire experience in the cinema? This week, watching No Time to Die. Okay, so we're in the front row. We're on the recliners in View Cinemas. First off, the lights weren't turned off, so I had to go out and ask for the lights to be turned off. So already there's some disturbance. There was a woman next to me who, in the opening scene, got her phone out and was WhatsApping people. And I thought, you've not settled down. That's fine. I'll let you settle down. Then when it showed the beautiful scenery in wherever that is in France, Spain, she took a picture with a phone, sent that picture to a friend on WhatsApp. Then she took a video and she was holding a phone up in the air to set the video, completely shameless, illegal behavior. She kept texting. After 20 minutes, we were looking at each other saying, what the, f-? and we tried, we, you said, let's give her a death stare and that should make us up. And I thought she settled down, now it's fine. But it, it hit, what was it, like the 40, 50 minute mark? And yeah. I took action. I took some action. I got my phone out. I opened it on Google Chrome. So it was a bright white screen. And I At waved which point, it. Sorry, let me interrupt you. Because when you did this, I thought, why are you giving her free reign? Why are you doing the same thing? What is he playing at? But you had a plan. I had a plan. I had a plan. So to, to, to make the point that a bright phone is annoying, I waved my phone right in her face, just waved it in her face. She, she recoiled in shock. And I said, can you please stop? And then she did stop. She did stop. And she, not only did she stop on the view recliners, you have those little tables that are in front of you. Her phone was face up, wasn't it? So when she was getting the notifications, it was coming up on the table. But after I waved my phone in her face, she put the phone face down and did not get it back out again until very near the end of the film when she got it out, but she was leaned very, very far away from me. She had it at an angle, so I couldn't see. So that showed her. 
It was it was infuriating though. I'm so glad that you did that. In fact, I'm gonna go as far as saying it did almost overshadow the film, that experience. <laughs> it's my takeaway from it is oh, when I went watching Bond, this happened. Cause it was oh, it was so so funny. So funny. But well played to you. Thank you for just you know putting yourself out there in harm's way, because her boyfriend could have absolutely knocked you out. I'm not saying physically. I'm not saying he, you know. Oh, you really right. Yeah, yeah. You mean it could have gone wrong, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah. It could have gone really badly. Yeah, that that space in front of the screen could have turned into a war zone. <laughs> but thankfully not. So, and we're here to live another day because it's no time to die. I'm trying to bring it all together, it's not working. So we'll move on, James. What have you been watching this week? At long last, after a year of waiting for me, Foundation on Apple TV Plus. This is based on the novels by Isaac Isimov. I wrote that name down as a placeholder. I was going to look it up, but I'm going to just stick with it. Um, I haven't read them, so I don't know what they're about. So any comparisons to the book isn't relevant to me. I just wanted a nice sci-fi show. It's set in the far, far future where humans have spread across the galaxy and an empire rules all the planets. So the government Zoom calls must be a nightmare. Jared Harris is a mathematician who uses a new field called psychohistory to predict the collapse of all of the empire civilization. A girl is invited by the empire to disprove his theory because she's also a mathematical genius. And the idea is that if she can prove his theory wrong, then the panic will end. But he's not wrong. The theory is mathematically proven. And in a few hundred years, all of civilization will collapse. So it's agreed that there'll be a project to preserve all of human knowledge and history so that after the collapse, humans can find it and resume production of iPhones. And the emperor is a clone, and there are always three of the clones, a young, middle, and old one. And when the old one dies, the new baby, new baby clone comes in. It's a heavy setup. There's a lot of heavy lifting in the first episodes. In those first two episodes, it's just laying the groundwork. And then in the third episode, there's a time jump, and then they have to establish the new situation. I've been looking forward to this for a year. Does it live up to the hype? No. The middling reviews for it are fair. It lacks humanity. They do put some romance in, which I welcomed because it seemed like they were living in a loveless, sexless future. But Apple has spared no expense. It's nice to look at, even watch on a six-inch screen. It builds an intriguing sci-fi world that I want to learn more about. It doesn't knock you for six. It hits a four, which for non-cricket nations listening is when the batter strikes the ball and they shout four to warn anyone standing in the path of the ball. Okay. Um, recommend it or not then? I do recommend it. I recommend it if you want to see some good looking sci-fi. It's not something that transcends the genre that can be recommended to anyone. Like, you know how Game of Thrones, I hate bringing up Game of Thrones because it's such an obvious example, but you know how Game of Thrones is so good that it, you don't have to be a fantasy fan to watch it. Yeah. It's just very good. It has that cross appeal. I don't think Foundation is at that level. 
Right, okay. And and you said it looks very good. What would you, without making you say Game of Thrones again, what would you say it's on par with from a production value standpoint? Does it feel like a TV series still, or is it... It doesn't feel next? like a TV series. It's on par with the new Blade Runner, Star Wars, Dune, judging from the trailers, mm. Captain Marvel at the start when they're all in the big city, the Kree world. It's right up there with the most very recent big budget sci-fi films, both in the CGI and in the costumes and the sets. Fair enough. I'm not I'm not only provoked to watch something from its aesthetic values, but that's that's it's intrigued me. I want to see what it looks like because I've seen nothing of this. So I may well give it a go. Anything that you're slightly hotter on? I am hotter on Midnight Mass on Netflix. I've only seen the first episode of this, and I love it thus far. Mm. This is written by your boy. Yeah, my boy, Mike Flanagan. Yeah, who also wrote The Haunting of Things, The Haunting of dot, dot, dot series anthology, and also Netflix, right? Hill House, Bly Manor, all that jazz, and Doctor Sleep, the latest Shining sequel. None of which I've seen. So I'm coming in cold with no expectations. In Midnight Mass, a charismatic priest arrives on a small island in America and rekindles the faith of the inhabitants. It's a slow build drama horror. Not that slow if you watch it in 1.25 speed on the Netflix app. There's also a man recently released from prison after death by dangerous driving. A woman caring for her mother who has dementia. A girl in a wheelchair. If only someone could come and help with these problems. It's the priest. It gives nothing away in the early going, and that's why the slow reveals and the ending is so good. So I can't say much. What I will say is that this is a high-quality Netflix show. It's not mid-tier content churning like clickbait. It's the most recent example I can think of. The writing really stands out. There are some monologues about death and faith that go on for minutes, and they're excellent, and it really makes you think, This is why TV is good, because you can just have two characters just sitting and talking to each other in the middle of an episode, and it can go on and on and on. If it's well written, it's good. The sympathetic, complex, and believable characters who all have an arc to go through. It is one of the best things I've seen on Netflix recently. Just highly recommend it. Not that I need to, because it's in the top 10 already. And you've finished it and still have that opinion, so... I'm excited now, because like I said, I watched the first episode, and I don't think I've said before, but he doesn't get enough credit for, you know, oh, he's a horror maestro. That's almost an insult. It it, it really is character-driven, and I think there's a lot of, even in that first episode, I was like, this feels like a lived-in place, because it's like a remote island, isn't it? Yeah, they're on. yeah. And already I was like, it it does feel lived in. And these characters are actually people that I want to know more about. And just, I think there's a lot that he establishes in that first episode as well. I think there's like 10 key players. And I thought, I want to know more about every single one of you. So, yes, um, I'm I'm very, very much looking forward to this now. Good. And nice build and really good payoff in the end. That's what I've been watching. Daniel, what have you been watching? I want to repeat myself a bit and give a final verdict on Nine Perfect Strangers, which I reviewed about a month back, I think. I told you what my thoughts were on the first three episodes. I've, I've now finished it. 
this as a reminder is that Nicole Kidman led drama from the team that brought us Big Little Lies. And now that it's concluded, everything that I said a few weeks back still stands. It, it is an intriguing storyline. The setting of this health resort is very alluring. It's nice to spend time in, despite the craziness that's going on. But one of the things that I did say in the previous episode was that it sets up a lot of subplots that, you know, they're their own self-contained mysteries. But yeah, there's not many answers. I'm happy to report it does give you those answers before the series concludes, but I don't think any of it was anywhere near as mysterious as they initially made out. It's not to say that there aren't interesting developments and there are some neat little twists along the way. I just couldn't help feeling that it didn't 100% deliver. But for the most part, the finale it did wrap things up in a, in a tidy little bow, maybe too tidy. Uh, I think I just maybe had higher expectations, but I, I would still recommend it just based on the ensemble cast because there's some really top-notch performances in there. I still haven't watched it, but I do plan to. It's still satisfying at the end, but it's yes. just not as mysterious as you thought it would be. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. What else have you been watching? I planned on watching Sex Education. I've only watched two episodes, and I would rather give a fully formed opinion of the whole thing, so hopefully that will be next week's episode. Instead, I had to watch something with sex in the title. So I watched Sex Actually with Alice Levine, which is a new Channel 4 documentary series. And I think, don't quote me on it, that it's produced by Louis Theroux, which leads me to think, what, what is Louis Theroux's obsession with sex? He makes a lot of documentaries about him. Just, uh, you're a bit of a perv, aren't you, mate? That's what I think. Um, I only really watched this for Alice Levine. I, I fell in love with her because I listened to the... I'm a latecomer to the My Dad Wrote a Porno podcast, which is excellent. And this is her taking a look into the lives of couples who stream their sex lives for money, whether it be, you know, OnlyFans or Chatterbait. You know, you all know, right? Um, <laughs> and it's, it's good in that it's not judgy. It's very much presenting it to you as this is what goes on. This is how people make an income. These are the sorts of backgrounds they come from. Oh, look, this is their house. This is where all the magic happens. To the point where she is sat in the room looking completely out of a depth, watching them have sex. And it's all... I'd say the enjoyment comes from just seeing her awkwardness on camera because you can just tell that she is not happy with it at all. But at the same time, it's quite funny and, and lighthearted. And that's kind of where it gets to. I thought this was a one-off. I do believe there's another episode, which I'm happy about, because I thought you really didn't explore much here. And it was 45 minutes and we're done. But no, there's more to come. It just at this point feels to, as I say, surface level. And I want to see a bit more. Maybe penetration. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I want to see more penetration of these subjects and a deep dive into uh you know, what they really think and what, what really makes them tick. And are they really enjoying having sex on camera or are they just doing it because mm, it's easy money, isn't it? But yeah, we'll see. It sounds interesting. I didn't know about that. Existing. Well, yeah, give it a go. Like I said, it's only 44 minutes. If it doesn't draw you in, you've not lost too much time. Yeah. That reminds me of a really good documentary called Hot Girls Wanted that I think was a feature-length documentary and then it became a series on Netflix. Yeah, I think that's about right. 
similar topic that was really interesting to see behind the scenes and what was going on. It's seeing the mindset and seeing them explain what they think of what they do in their own words. Yeah, and I think I'm not saying this about every single one of them that's in the show, but you can't help feeling that it's a bit clinical and a, and robotic at times. Um, but you know, needs most, I guess. What else have you been watching? Finally, Manhunt, which is an ITV drama that's in its second series. And this is about the real-life case files of Detector Chief Inspector Colin Sutton, who is played by one of the world's most handsomest men, Martin Clunes. It's a second series, but it isn't imperative that you've seen the first before you watch this. It's true crime at the end of the day. So it's just another well-known case that happens to feature the same detective character. And it's about the infamous Night Stalker, who roamed the streets of southeast London in the early 90s, all the way through to the late 2000s. And he committed various rapes on the elderly and some extremely weird burglaries in which he'd ritualistically line people's ornaments up outside after he'd committed a crime. And he would also unscrew all the light bulbs and put them in a sink, which is weird. Um, so he's not a serial killer, just a serial offender. And that was a nice change of pace for me. Nice, probably, isn't the right word. But honestly, this was gripping TV. You've got a criminal who's been getting away with this for nearly 20 years. The police have been reaching dead ends for decades. Then you've got this really down-to-earth, relatable bloke in DCI Sutton who just comes in and he wants to tackle things from a different angle. Things obviously haven't worked out, so let's try something different. And the way in which he does that is... He frames the investigation into doing away with what was their focus, which was forensics, and going back to good old-fashioned boots-on-the-ground coppering. That's not to say he doesn't have some pretty audacious solutions to try and finally pin down a suspect. He does. I won't tell you what they are, because that's part of the joy of the joy. No, not again. Uh, interesting bit of this. Um but it all comes back to Bourbon's detective work and it, it lays it all out in painstaking, frustrating glory. And, that, and that's what I really enjoyed about this. It does take its time to highlight the constraints on the police force from a budgeting standpoint. It also shows like the limitations of the tools that they have at the disposal. It even points out the ineptness of the police force in some cases. But honestly... I think it's either four or five episodes, but this just flew by for me. I knocked it all out in one sitting. I thought it was brilliant. Manhunt on ITV. Okay. From hunting man to hunting news. Excellent. It's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. First up, Deadline and other news outlets report that Joseph Gordon-Levitt's Mr. Corman has been cancelled by Apple TV after just one season. Now, I finished this this week. Overall, for the whole 10 episodes, I've enjoyed it. There's a cracking episode, episode 7 and 8, which is about how would my life have been if I'd made different choices. And it explores all that, and that's very relatable. Anyway, it's, it's dead, it's gone. And I thought, well, maybe it's because it was only ever designed to be one season. 
the article doesn't really say that. It is a rare cancellation for Apple TV. They've only not renewed one other original scripted series out of dozens so far. The other one that wasn't renewed was Little Voice. I don't even remember that. I don't know what it is either. So they've, so they've renewed Physical as well with Rose Byrne, which that wasn't a smash hit either. But Mr. Corman is gone. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It was a, it's a good effort. I enjoyed it, but it seems like it's just not made any impact. So you kind of mentioned it there with, you know, was it was it even designed to go past the first series? Did it feel like a well-rounded, oh, this is the end of the story, or do you think there's more to tell? I think it literally reaches a crescendo in the end. And for it to end there, I think is fine. I think you can watch it as one complete piece of work. Sometimes I almost prefer that, you know, because especially when we've so much stuff to get through, just knowing that something exists and is good on its own and is never going to demand that you watch another seven seasons of it, that's an attractive proposition. So not always a bad thing, maybe. I agree. Next up, I can't believe this. There's been rumours about it for years and I always thought it was absolute nonsense. Ridley Scott, he's, he's 83 now, the little oxygen thief. Can't believe it. He is showing no signs of slowing down. He is going to knock out his latest film, which, well, not his latest film, is House of Gucci, isn't it, which is due out very soon. Then he's on to Napoleon. Shortly after that, he will be making the long-awaited sequel to Gladiator. Why are you doing this? Why? Gladiator is, I haven't seen it, granted, probably for 15 years, but the first five years that it was out, I probably watched it 26 times. I love that film. I really don't want anything to upset his memory. If it's good, fair enough, I will eat my words, but I don't think I don't think we need this. I don't think we need this at all. Um, Joaquin Phoenix will apparently reprise his role as the sniveling little shit that he is in that film. Doesn't he die? I think he gets stabbed, doesn't he? But the fi- in the final I've got duel... confused. I've got confused. No, no. Okay. <laughs> apparently Connie Nielsen coming back. Yeah, uh, Joaquin Phoenix is in his other film, Napoleon. That's that's where I've, I've just skipped through the article and uh, misread. Sorry about that. Nearly give you very, very false information there. So, yeah, Connie Nielsen will return, who was his mum. Is that right? This is just all memory. Just Right. Um, <laughs> oh, we can't. Uh, anyway, that's. let's just leave it there before I give more inaccurate information. I agree. I, I, well, let me give... Let me, come back at you we're going back and forth. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i just meant dynamic. i'm done i'm going to shut up before i dig right, myself okay. more of a grave carry on okay well yeah it's one of those films that now that you mentioned it i remember how much you liked it that's how much you liked it i remember now 20 years later you <sighs> having the soundtrack and how much you liked it but it is a classic it is a classic it's damn near perfect i can't point it out any flaws. and the ending is also perfect so a second Gladiator film might as well just be any other film set in that period of time because that story ended. And I've I've been wounded by Ridley Scott in the past. We all have. Alien, brilliant. Prometheus, terrible. Don't revisit films from your back catalogue because it almost always, I think that's the only example, ends in disaster. So well, the you you're right. 
because you've forgotten Kingdom of Heaven, which was hyped as this is going to be like as this is going to be as good as Gladiator because it's swords and sandals epic oh, yeah. Yeah. again, but it was a miserable failure. Well, here's another one to look forward to. Yep. And something else we have been looking forward to for a very long time is this week's main review. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Promise it back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. Our main review this week is No Time to Die. Name? Bond. James Bond. So you're not dead. Hello, Q. I've missed you. James? You don't know what this is? You've never flown one of these. Nope. When you're ready. You're late. In the latest Bond outing, the tension between MGM and Daniel Craig reaches fever pitch. Once claiming in an interview that he would rather slit his wrist than do another Bond film, studio execs respond with a dastardly plot ripped straight out of the previous films in the franchise, manufacturing a worldwide pandemic that forces Craig to remain as Bond for a further two years and prevent him from working on other projects. A despondent and world-weary Craig then had his balls repeatedly whipped as he's subjected to relentless interviews regarding a film that has no release date. That is, until studio bosses come to realise the devastating truth. If they impose this torture any longer, box office figures may soon be affected. At the behest of megalomaniac new MGM owner Jeff Bezos, they reluctantly release the film upon the world as Daniel Craig sets off into the distance with his wife, Rachel Weiss, who refuses to hold his hand as credits roll. Or, James Bond is enjoying a tranquil life in Jamaica after leaving active service. However, his peace is short-lived as his old CIA friend, Felix Leiter, shows up and asks for help. Before we begin, I think it's imperative that we discuss... What's your history with Bond, James? In the UK, the Bond films are always on ITV, which is one of the terrestrial TV channels. At least it was when I was growing up. So I've seen almost all the Bond films. And I know that my dad liked them. And when we would watch the Roger Moore ones, he would say, this, this always happens in the Bond films. Like, oh, the, the underwater scuba harpoon fight. He said, this is a classic scene. So I think I know Bond quite well. And I had the James Bond best of uh, music CD, a compact disc that you would, you'd put it in a, uh, it doesn't matter. I had the James Bond music collection. So I'd listen to that a lot. So I feel like I know Bond quite well. I'm not a Bond lover, but I do like thinking about how James Bond films over the years have gone through different phases of, reinvention and repetition and nostalgia so yeah. it's an interesting topic for me but i'm not like a big lover of it what about you i'm similar but probably not quite as invested as as you even though you've pretty much said not that invested <laughs> but you've got a good knowledge of it I'm, I'm a casual viewer i wouldn't describe myself as a fan i've probably seen without counting them at least 
15, maybe 20. don't know. Um, I've been on this earth during the Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig era, and they're the bonds that I most am familiar with. In terms of Craig's bond, some are better than others. I, I remember specifically really, really liking Casino Royale. I thought, this is awesome. This, this is a change that we're seeing in Bond, and I'm really excited to see where this goes. But then Quantum of Solace came out, and that was just absolute poppycock. The rest has been okay from memory, but I must confess I couldn't tell you a single scene from them, which probably says quite a lot. That's where I'm at along with, I will say, it, it's difficult to stay excited about something that's been teased and taken away from you for nearly two years. And I know that's not the filmmaker's fault, but I was getting to the point where I'm thinking, just just come out now. I'm, I'm sick of the constant delays, and it's it's hampering my excitement factor. Were you, were you of a similar mindset? Or Yes, it was hard to stay excited about it. Not just because of the two-year delay, but also because Spectre was in 2015. Yeah. Which is a long gap. So to give an, a, some perspective, the gap between Die Another Day, which was the last Brosnan film, and the first Daniel Craig film, Casino Royale, that was a four-year gap. That was between different Bonds altogether. So we've gone five years from one Craig film to another. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a long way. So... All that being said, this we knew before we set foot in the cinema. It was coming out to positive reviews, but it doesn't matter about them, James. It's about what we think. So what did you think of No Time to Die? Watching a new James Bond film is always special, especially if you're an Englishman who longs for the days when Britain ruled the world. There's a lot to unpack in this film, so I'm going to be quite systematic. The plot I turned to you twice during this, once during the first act and once very near the end to say, I don't know what's happening. Basically, there's a virus that's been stolen and Bond has to chase it down. It's a bit like Mission Impossible 2 in that way. What exactly the villain wants to do is still unclear to me. Alongside that is Bond working on his relationship with Madeline Swan from the previous film and Blofeld is hovering around everything. Understanding the Madeline side of things relies on seeing Spectre, which I couldn't finish when I tried to watch it on a plane. And even if I had seen it, it was six years ago. So I would have forgotten it anyway. So I was doubly lost and I wasn't that engaged in the story. It's baggy. Most scenes are too long. That's a problem that starts with the opening and goes on throughout. The action is not as innovative or exciting as I would like in a way that the recent Mission Impossible films have been. The stealth jet, for example, that's built up in the background and is shown in the trailer gets 20 seconds. Daniel Craig is a great Bond. I think that's beyond question. He delivers again here. But so much of this film is a downer and Bond himself is a downer as well. He's retired, he can't be bothered. But then when he gets his motivation back, he's still, he's still great. He's, he's back to greatness again. Lashana Lynch as the new double O. The worst fears about her character being someone to humiliate, undermine and outperform Bond are not realised. She joins an admittedly short list of Bond gut women who fight alongside him like Michelle Yao in Tomorrow Never Dies and Halle Berry in Dine of the Day. 
it's not a walk destruction of Bond that some commentators feared. I think Domi, the character's name, it's something that we've seen before. It's just repackaged to appeal to some of the cultural moments that we're living in. I do note, though, that there was messaging around her character that was appearing in Vanity Fair interviews and in the first trailer where it shows all her lines saying, I'm going to shoot your knee, the one that works, lol. They've pulled back on that messaging, I think. And if you watch the trailers, which I have this morning, the first trailer, she's quite prominent. Second trailer, she has one line. Third trailer, final trailer, two years later, she has one word. So they've reduced her role in the trailers and they've pulled back on this idea. I liked her. I liked her. I wanted her to have a big moment, a WrestleMania moment, but it, it didn't happen. They talk about things that she's doing in the background. She's alongside Bond, literally, but I do like Lashana Lynch. I liked her in Captain Marvel, and I wouldn't have minded seeing more. Anna de Armas, we didn't see a lot of her, but we did see enough, if you know what I mean. I walked out of it saying to you and your better half, I didn't enjoy it. But the more I think about it, the more I realise that it did a lot of things well. There were some good dialogue scenes. The action when it was there was good. And it looked good, of course, for the money. It has to. Daniel, what did you think of No Time to Die? I I am conflicted with my opinions on this film. Still very conflicted. We'll start with the opening, which I thought was brilliant. You get this rather unsettling murder that takes place at a remote cabin by the lake and it's carried out by a at this point unknown assailant who is genuinely chilling i think he looks quite freaky and i was like oh i wasn't expecting this sort of atmosphere from a bond film i don't know why because bond villains do tend to be that way but it took me by surprise i thought it was effective and i was like i'm sucked in great then you cut to the reintroduction of the man we're all here to see Bond is enjoying a romantic getaway in Italy with his love interest from the previous film, Madeline. And it felt like a continuation of something that I wasn't privy to. And that's when I started to have problems similar to what you said at the start. Again, we turned to each other, as you said, and I was like, what is going on? You said you didn't know. I thought, thank God I'm not on my own. And it proceeded to make me feel like a bit of an imposter for the rest of the film. And I don't want either of us to come across as complete idiots with that too, because I think we both did have an understanding of the basics of what was going on plot-wise. You can follow it, but there's just too many callbacks to characters and events, which, like you said, we've, we've seen it, but are you seriously asking us to remember the ins and outs of what's happened over 15 years ago and even that last film, as you said, it's five years ago. I, Bond's love interest, Madeline, for example, I didn't remember who she was. I didn't even realise she was in the last film or why I should care about her. I'd forgotten who Vespa was. That's Eva Green's character in Casino Royale and the slight mention of her. It's, it's not integral, but it is mentioned. And it's also with like the specifics of the Spectre organisation and, and Blofeld. I just felt so out of the loop. And I guess all that is to say, just do do your homework before you watch this film. If you're rusty on what came before, you don't need to spend eight hours watching the previous films, but maybe go and look up a summary video on YouTube as a refresher. It might actually heighten your experience more than me and James. 
as I say, it's, it's not integral, but you, you're missing the wider context. And and to be fair, that criticism is all on me. I, I think I'd even forgotten the basic of this foray into Craig's Bond. It's a little more nuanced than the other ones. They want to make him more than a one-dimensional killing machine who just essentially murders people for the good of the world. There are... There's this overarching plot that carries through into other films. And from memory, I don't think the other films really did that that much. But did it deliver on everything else? I think I had a different take on the pacing. I, I thought it was, despite my confusion, quite well done. That It keeps up the ante. There's always something new going on from scene to scene. And there's an action scene littered about here and there for good measure. And I was never bored. And that's surprising, given it's nearly three-hour runtime. As for the action, some moments are better than others. There's a hand-to-hand combat fight on a staircase later on in the film that's all done in one shot, and I thought that was especially well executed. It reminded me of our first ever review, Extraction, actually. Uh, Don't go back and listen to that episode because the sound quality is terrible. Everything else is okay. It's not bad action, but there's nothing that really leaped out to me as a standout moment. It does look good and it's in keeping with the visual style of the other films. It's all very sleek and appealing um, and there's some stunning location and shots of the surrounding landscapes. The cast are all very good. Series regulars, Ben Wishaw and Naomi Harris, they return, but they're given very little to do. I don't think we share the opinion on Lashana Lynch. She, She is good in it, but I couldn't help feeling, and I'm not trying to piss anyone off here, that featuring a woman of colour as a potential next Bond was part of some regimented box-ticking exercise that played on my mind throughout the entire thing. Not that I was, you know, putting that against her. I was more like, this is a shame to her if they have used her for this purpose. But, you know, whatever. Uh, Another thing to note, you mentioned it. If if you've got a deep and dark obsession with Anna de Armas, she, she is in this for like 10 minutes, so you've been warned. Um, Villain-wise, Rami Malek, he's suitably menacing, but as you said, in terms of motivations for being evil, they're pretty basic. I think it's quite hard to talk about Daniel Craig's performance without needing to go into spoilers, but as you said, he delivers and it's on par with what he's done in the other films. All in all, my feelings on this, as I said at the start, that the, the complex, they've given me five years to play catch-up and I didn't bother, and that is completely on me. But I can't help feeling that I'd, if I put the effort in and revisited the other films, I may have had a very different uh, take on this than I currently have. As is, I liked it. I didn't love it as much ever, as everyone else seems to be. Very well said. All your points about not being caught up, I fully, fully share that. Just want to pick up on something you said about standout moments. Many other Bond films have standout moments like the harpoon scuba fight or James Bond ski, uh, skiing off a mountain and deploying a Union Jack parachute or Pierce Brosnan in a tank. I know it's more scaled down. It's, it's grounded Bond, but I, apart from maybe something in spoilers, I don't think there's a standout moment where you would say, oh, is that the one at, with that bit in? Yeah, you are 100% right on that. There's not, there's, there's just not. There's a lot of shooting. Mm. They've got auto aim on and they just, they just burst, they just do burst fire with 100% accuracy into different guys. That's what a lot of the action is. 
and and I've got to say as well, and I'm sure it's true of every Bond film, but there are a lot of people who it would seem their day to day role is to kill people for a living. And my word, are they terrible shots? Like you have you have a stationary Bond. He's not even moving, and every single person misses him. It's it, it's beyond belief. But yeah, there's an amazing scene where they they shoot directly at his feet from from a distance. The the spot on. They just all shoot at, right at his feet, <laughs> and then he and then he runs behind a wall. <sighs> I, you you didn't say what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say that. Daniel Craig's job is to kill people for a living. And I think this thing, something that this doesn't have is more scenes of Bond doing non-violent spy activity. Yeah, there's a like, lot that I think about it. Like, well, it's not like it's non-stop action, but the poker scene from Casino Royale or tailing people or just spy stuff I can't, I can't even think of any examples to make my point but i know he's either saying. he's either sat in a room talking to someone or he's got a submachine gun it is absent from the film completely and i didn't even realize it until you've just said it but maybe that's why it does feel like a bond film i can't take that away from it in many respects but i think in a lot of areas it doesn't and i think that's one of one of them um that you've identified. Yeah, I thought you liked it more. I thought you were going to balance out me being a bit negative, but maybe maybe I have put that across wrong then because I did I did like it. I just feel alienated by it, and I feel a bit wounded because of that. Because I think I think if I had, as I said, not to just keep going on about the same point, but if I'd known the ins and outs of the mythology with this bond and things that have happened in the past, it could have just been completely different, my take on it. And as such, that wasn't, that's not what I did, and that's not what I got. So I just don't know. I don't want to feign positivity when that was how I was left feeling, if you know what I mean. Okay. Well, should we reduce all this to one simple yes or no question? Let's, let's. Daniel, would you recommend Daniel Craig as Ian Fleming's James Bond 007 in... No time to die. Yes, I would. It's nearly three hours, as I said, and I was not bored, and that is an achievement for any film. That's a long time to pin somebody down to a seat. And especially if you are a diehard Bond fan, there's rewards in this for you. I think if you've paid close attention to what's happened, you will be rewarded. So, yes, I would. What about you, James? Yes, I would. But you must watch a 10-minute YouTube summary video of the previous Daniel Craig films. Agreed. Should we go into spoilers? Yeah. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. MI6 have been producing a nanomachine virus secretly. It's stolen by Rami Malek's character. Spectre also have it. No, that's not right. No, I see. I'm, I'm, I'm lost already. I'm already lost. I thought that was going to go a lot better. <laughs> there's a virus. There's a virus in play. The bad guys have it. It's Rami Malek and Spectre, but they're, they're two different things. And Rami Malek wants to either use it or sell it. Alongside that, James Bond believes he's been betrayed by Madeleine Swan. 
turns out that he's not. Blofeld tried to kill him. Then Blofeld gets killed by James Bond with the nanovirus by accident. Twist, James Bond has a five-year-old daughter. Everything comes to a head at a secret island where James Bond has to save his girlfriend and his daughter. They escape. James Bond opens the blast doors to allow a British Navy strike on the island that destroys the mass-produced virus and, this is the memorable moment for this film, kills James Bond. They tricked us, James. They tricked us. Or did they? With the title, No Time to Die. It was, in fact, The Time to Die. Or maybe it's more of a reflective, oh, that was No Time to Die. Whatever it may be, Bond's dead. And I I might have been an idiot, but I really wasn't expecting that. And I admire them for, you know, having the courage to make that decision. I mean, it doesn't mean that's it. We're never going to get another Bond. But am I wrong in saying that's not been done before? It's not been done before. Right, so we're always forced to believe that Bond has just regenerated into a different being because that's realistic every decade or so. But um, no, here it's definitive. The man, the myth, the legend, he is kaput. Shocked I was, shocked. Were you? I was was shocked as well, but I think they were were building up to it for about 15 minutes, I think. Yeah, yeah. So once it was, it there was the, they, they nicely built up this inevitability of it. Like when he sends them off in, in the little dinghy, you think he's not coming back, but they're not going to kill him, are they? Mm. And then you realize they are, they are going to kill him. This is going to happen. Now, I want to dig into with you what sort of impact that had on you. But for, before we get to that point, does it make sense? Does it really make sense? It does in terms of the character and the end of this era of Bond, but one thing that I just didn't get, right, he resigns himself to dying, in my opinion. He could have made it out there alive. He could, but It was more down to him saying, I'm never going to be able to touch my partner or child again, so what is the point in living? Take me now. Rather than it being, you have categorically run out of time to save yourself. And for me, I thought, in a time where we've managed to develop a vaccine, for something in under a year, why have you just gone, ah, nah, it's never going to happen? Um, I mean, obviously, there's a fictional world and coronavirus doesn't exist, so he doesn't know that, but it was just almost too convenient. We have to kill you off, so, yeah, just accept your fate and that's it. I just thought there was hope here and he chose to ignore it. Yeah, plus, if he just married Madeline, they would never touch again anyway. <laughs> I didn't I think of that because Q, Q says to him in the halfway part of the film, once you have it on you, that's it. And then this is a virus, a machine virus that virtually nothing is known about. So you're right. There's nothing to say that, it, that something couldn't be done about it. Mm. But he decides that there is. But something that I thought you were going to say didn't make sense, but I agree that you're right, it is a bit confusing, is that why is it so urgent to blow up the island right there and then? Why does it have to be done right now? Which I think I get, but did you get it? Hearing you say all that out loud, no, I don't think I did at all. I don't so, get the so, urgency. So say, for example, why couldn't they say, right, we know where the island is, Bond, just come back for now, chill out, self-isolate. <laughs> <laughs> and 
we'll get some like better missiles. Or we'll we'll send a hundred guys in to open the blast doors and do something else. Why couldn't that happen? I think it's because the Russians and the Chinese ships were are going to arrive, and if the Russians and Chinese got to the island, you wouldn't be able to bomb them and kill them because that would start a war. And then if they did get to the island, they would keep the virus for themselves and they would mass produce it because Russia and China are really evil in the world of James Bond. I think that's what was happening. I think that's why it had to be done right then. Then I will accept it. I'll accept it. Well, you're right about how it's, it's if, if he wasn't infected with the virus, would he still have decided to stay on the island and keep the blast doors open? Mm, and I don't think he would. Like it's it's less of a self sacrifice. It's more like, well, if I can't shoplift the pooty, then I'm not going back. <laughs> it, it does. It takes something away from it. But another angle of it is that Bond traditionally is someone who sees women as disposable. But this Bond, he cannot go on without this connection to this one person. Yeah. So he chooses to die instead. So I think that's. I think that's what's going on. You've just reminded me of something that your significant other said about the daughter. She said there's the implication that if you have a kid, that's it. <laughs> Life is over. Like professionally and personally, you are done. And then I said it's like an end game where Tony Stark has a daughter and then that's it, he has to die. <laughs> and I thought that was an interesting point. There was like Bond are just, once you get a family, you're done. You just might as well get bombed. <laughs> and with that obviously emotional stakes are high here and it's as you say a very different bond he's in love with someone and that's when i said it's difficult to talk about his performance without going into spoilers because you don't know where this leads to him i was expecting a bit more out of him he's he's teary and i, th- I think anything beyond that would have been almost ruining the bond mystique and character maybe but I I don't quite know if the performance was emotionally charged enough for it to deliver that impact on me because I I was also as we both said numerous times in this I was lost with a lot of the plot details so that kind of took me out of it as well but I wanted to be in floods of tears at the end of this film but I don't think it earned it is what I'm trying to say what about you I agree with everything you've said there. And to add to that, it could be that there's a 19-year age gap and there's no chemistry between them. That could be one thing. Uh, Maybe there is no chemistry. I don't know. I know that there is chemistry, for example, between Tom Cruise and Rebecca Ferguson in Mission Impossible. They have an age gap. So I I feel like I do know the difference. I can see when there's chemistry and when there isn't. So that's one thing. But another thing is that when they were at the peak of their relationship at the start of the film, they don't actually seem that happy. It's like they're still trying to get over things. They don't like wave lobsters at each other when they're cooking. So maybe that's something that's missing as well. Yeah, and, you know, a fault on both of our parts that we don't remember what the relationship was like in the previous film to say whether they did earn it or not. But, uh, yeah, it certainly wasn't in this film. I agree with that. Do you know what? The other reason why I know this didn't work, this is quite personal, actually, but I'm going to put it in anyway, and uh, you know my partner doesn't listen, so it's fine. My, my partner, as she said, she went and watched this with us, and similar to you, she's got a very fond memory of watching Bond with her dad. 
and he sadly passed away at the beginning of the year and there was that added emotional weight to this film and I thought with that in mind because I was feeling it because she did say I might be a bit of a mess at the end of this it shocked me even more that you know everything's there on screen to make me cry (laughs) and I did, did have a tear in my eye at one point but I thought there must be some significant failure with this film to produce that tear out of me because it like as I said, there was there was personal stuff going on here, and it still didn't quite work. But nevertheless, it is well done. I think there is this. Even the explosions themselves look quite beautiful. Should I say um, it is quite a nice thing to behold? As weird as that sounds, but yeah, just just missing a thing or two. I think. Did you pick up on the fact that Safin? was in love with Madeline. God, no. Because he was, apparently, since I've read what the, the plot actually was. Safin, he, he was in love with her, and that was that was a major thing that was going on. I did not pick up on that. No, that, that was straight off my head. Completely. What? No. That, that just doesn't exist in this film, as far as I'm concerned. And yeah. brings an extra level of creep factor because he encounters her when she's like 12 years old or something. Yeah. So, so I don't know about you, but whenever I, if I know someone from when they're very young, they always look like that. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, it's a bit weird. Now that you've said that, that's reminded me the very opening scene, really convenient that he shot through the ice um, straight at her multiple times but did not manage to hit her once um he may be the only person within this film who does have a fine shot within him uh, yeah. otherwise it doesn't make sense yeah. something else that didn't make sense was the villains the villains plot so set aside whether it's specter's virus or safin's virus it seems like safin this is rami malek's character has a very like personal goal here then you get to the island, the classic lair of the villain, and it's more of like a global, he wants to spread it all over the world, and you get a projection graphic of the red spreading over the world. Then he mentions we've got some buyers arriving to buy the virus. I was lost. I didn't know, I didn't know what his intentions were. I'm afraid I can't provide any clarity, James, because I was equally confused. Sorry about that. Okay. Wikipedia not provide any answers. I've not I've not looked into it. Okay. Well, there you go, listeners. We're just gonna insert that in. Um, but if you wish to find out more, see if Wikipedia tells you. We don't know. I want to segue into references to other films, if that's okay. Of course, yeah. So there are musical references to Her Majesty's Secret Service. There's the main theme from Her Majesty's Secret Service and there's We Have All the Time in the World. So they're very clearly referencing that one George Lazenby film that came after Sean Connery. And in that film, James Bond's wife dies with a headshot and Bond cries at the end. And that, even though there's, it's Roger Moore after that, Roger Moore like visits his wife's grave. So it's one of the few instances of something happening to Bond 
that carries on into other films and it's tragic and emotional. And I think that's why they're musically referencing on Her Majesty's Secret Service. That also has a bio-warfare plot in as well from Blofeld, but I picked up on that. I think that they play the full theme like within the music. You can hear it on the soundtrack if you want to listen to it. But then more explicit is they say to each other, we have all the time in the world at the beginning of the end, and then the end song is that song so that happened and i thought another reference there's the aston martin and there's the walter pk but also when the shana lynch is taking madeline and matilde the daughter out of the facility you see madeline holding matilde in the boat and it's like the boat is drifting off into the horizon and a classic bond ending this is one of the things that my dad said, this is a classic thing. A classic Bond ending is Bond in a boat at sea with a woman drifting off into the horizon. And I thought, in this case, it's Bond's woman with his like his legacy taking mm. it off into the distance. I thought there was, if that's what they were doing, that was good. There was some poetry to it. And that's, it's like poetry, it rhymes. And that's what I'm talking about when I say there were good things in it. Yeah. That showed they had put thought what they didn't put like, but there were there was a respect and a reverence to other Bond films that made it interesting to watch if you want to pick up on it. It shows a lot of respect to the franchise, and that's why I feel a bit of a knob in that I didn't respect it before I went in. It's another reason for me to slap myself on the wrist and say, again, you should have done your homework. Um, because there's evidence here to say they did put a lot of thought and intention into this and god you know i would have hoped so given how long it was delayed they had a lot of time to find polish this i looked some stuff up and they kept talking about madeline's father madeline's father is mr white do you remember do you remember mr white it was in casino royale oh god right now right because mr white was in casino royale and he was pretty important agent of quantum then he was in quantum of solace and then it turns out that quantum of solace is specter so had i known that that madeline was mr white's daughter it might have made sense because when they're talking about your father killed my family turns mm. out i knew who that was yeah <laughs> i just i just i didn't know at the time we were watching it on thursday i forgot to look out for the inserts of new product placement there was one scene where he used a phone. And I thought, is that a new phone? But I'd forgotten to. Look. I might have to watch it again see if I can pick up on it. I noticed a Nokia phone and a Heineken beer. That is it. That is all I know. Well, and apart from the cars, which were obvious, that's all yeah. I saw. Because the Sony placement used to be really obvious in the early Craig films. I did think the Nokia phone was a bit of a joke. I thought that was some level of humour that they put in there. Because who buys Nokia phones? Yeah, and it wasn't even a smartphone. It was it was turned face down, unlike the woman sat a seat down from you. <laughs> yeah. The real villain. <laughs> uh, something else that I just want to briefly mention about how it, it's it's well written and, and it's good. It's the idea of a legacy. So Safin, Rami Malik, he talks about all that you will leave behind is your body, but I will leave behind my virus. And then at the end of the film, you see Madeline telling James Bond's daughter about James Bond. And it's like he's living on in the stories. 
And that again, that's that's a nice idea there. I don't know if you picked up on it, but I thought yeah. this, this is actually a good film. Like they've actually got ideas in it. Yeah, I agree. Right, I believe we have dissected No Time to Die to Death. So what is on the cards for next week's episode, James? Next week, we're reviewing The Guilty, starring Jake Gyllenhaal on Netflix. I am very much looking forward to that. I've seen the original. I love it. So it's got big boots to fill. Will it? Probably not. It's American, isn't it? Nothing against Americans, by the way. Just They've got completely normal-sized feet. <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much for listening. If you wish to leave us any feedback, you can do so at inthealspodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at inthealspodcast or do the good thing and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. James. I've got a message for MI6. When your spies have children, you don't need to blow them up with a missile strike. Right, from now until next week, go watch Bond. Let us know what you think. <laughs>